1: Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Christians love to talk about glory and victory because we are all Roman imperialists in our secret hearts, in the thoughts that we imagine God cannot hear. We lust after victory. We want to conquer and control. Are the colonial occupiers we planned and strategize on how to spread our dung piles around what is especially ugly about our brand of Empire is that we do it in the name of the one who was hung in shame naked on the cross the preferred implement of Imperial terror in late antiquity as such The storyline of the New Testament is a rejection of both us and Roman imperialism. Jesus rejects all of it, which is not good news for you and me. In Luke chapter 4, the devil, who avails himself of a kairos under the purview of God the Father, offers it to Jesus, and Jesus says... No, Jesus rejects it. He says no to victory, no to glory, no to achieving heights, no to standing out, no to self-importance, no to all of it, no to everything that we strive for and treasure. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. No to triumph and no to triumphalism. All the things that we love to chant about. Yes, those ugly Roman things that Julius put on a pedestal after he crossed the Rubicon. Jesus says no. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 13. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hey. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 494 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Those of you who have heard the podcast over the years have also heard Richard and I use this term kairos from time to time. And yes, it refers to time. So I was trying to be clever when I said from time to time. Kairos is a technical term in the New Testament. It refers to the opportune time presented by God. It's not within our purview. You can't take the opportunity, as we say in Western countries, in the English language. We always talk about taking communion, taking time, taking the opportunity. We always take things in the English language, but in the language of Scripture, and I don't mean it in the Platonic sense as though the language of Scripture can be spoken in English, I am referring to Biblical Hebrew and New Testament Greek, which is Hebraicized, and then later on the Septuagint. The Septuagint comes later. I want to be very clear for our listeners. The reference is Biblical Hebrew, to which New Testament Greek and the Septuagint submit. So in this sense, when we are talking about ekeros, we are talking about the opportunity that is offered by God. It is in His hands. It is presented. So it's striking, then, that this word comes up in verse 13, but and here's the riddle, the hidah, Richard. We are talking about it in terms of the devil, who has just failed miserably (laughs) at his attempt to cause Jesus to imagine that he is the reference as opposed to his father who is in the heavens this whole scene
0: of temptation of trying to get jesus to be self-sufficient with his food with his authorities to trust in god protecting him whatever he decides to do the devil is trying to make jesus his own reference We had this turning point already when God declares that this is my son. Before Jesus did anything, God declared, this is my son. He didn't say, if you do this, then you're my son. Because you did this, you're now my son. No, this is my son, and he didn't give any reasons. So the devil is playing off of this. We went through the entire genealogy and understood that God has tried— in different ways to create some kind of genealogy that's going to produce something but it was just taken over by the human beings and god chose not to do anything with it he ended up just saying forget it all this is my son in spite of this genealogy and now the devil is playing out what does this mean to be the son of god does this mean now you're in charge you're next in line for the throne. So now you get to do what you want to do. It's like the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, everybody looks to him. He's only the prince, he's not the king. But he gets to do what he wants to do now, because the king is non functional. In this story, the king is very much functional. This is God. So what is Jesus's role? And the devil is trying to twist Jesus' understanding, so that Jesus makes himself the reference. Jesus takes Son of God and allows it to mean whatever he wants it to mean. And Jesus, every time, submits to the word that was given to him. He doesn't take the word that was given to him to then create his own
1: self-fulfillment as he wills it. Christians love to talk about glory and victory because in their secret heart, in their heart of hearts, they are Roman imperialists. In Luke, Jesus rejects this. I mean, in the entire... Storyline of the New Testament Jesus rejects this, but specifically in Luke chapter 4, when confronted with the opportunity that the Father provides the keros of this temptation of the devil, the Avalos, the deceiver, Jesus rejects it. He says, No to victory, no to glory, no to achieving the heights no to standing out no to importance no to all of it no to everything that we strive for and we treasure listen carefully to what i'm saying no to glory no to standing out no to self-importance no to victory, no to triumph, all the things we chant about, Jesus says no. We, on the other hand, fall for the deception. We build the temple, and then, you know, we don't quite stand on top of it because we would slip off the dome, but we stand as high up as we can and we talk about our victory and our glory and our blah, blah, blah. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time, a kairos. What is striking, Richard, is that it is the Father who controls the opportune time, which follows with how Scripture functions. Because as you mentioned a couple episodes ago, I mean, everyone understands this, hopefully, the devil works for God the Father. There is no good versus evil in Scripture. There's just Elohim. Which means that if the devil is approaching Jesus, it's because he got approval from the head office. Which means the keros to tempt the Son of Man came from the boss. So now the devil's going to step into the background and wait for the next keros, which in Luke doesn't come until much later in chapter 8, but it doesn't really come in chapter 8. It only comes in the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I were preparing, in Greek,
0: it's which is up until the time, up until the opportunity. Okay, when does the devil appear again? When does he get his opportunity? What's going to happen next? And this is exactly where Luke wants us to be. Wait, he's going to disappear for a time he's going to withdraw until an opportunity. I mean, this sounds like military tactics. He's taking a tactical retreat. Okay, when's the devil going to come back? And then we started going back. Is it the crucifixion? Is it Gethsemane? It's like, devil doesn't appear here. Devil doesn't appear here. What happens to him? But this is exactly how the book works, because now we have this Paul hanging over us, Paul, P-A-L-L, hanging over us. Is the devil going to appear again? When's going to be the opportune time? And the beauty of this scene is that the devil doesn't disappear. He bides his time. The devil wants to turn Jesus from God. So he becomes his own person. And for the devil, this is considered a victory. When Jesus becomes self-sufficient, the devil wins. So when is he gonna happen? When is he gonna reappear? When do we get to see the devil again? This ahrikeru, when is there gonna be another opportunity? And we're looking at Luke, like, what about acts? Is he gonna be an Acts? <laughs> and he doesn't. So then he said, okay, then what does this mean? Knowing that, now we of course cheated, we, we skipped to the end. We wanted to see if he appears somewhere else, and he doesn't, but he does appear when Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, because in the parable of the sower, it's the devil that plucks the word out of people's hearts. Once the seed is sown, the devil comes and takes it. And we thought, ah, here it is, because God declares that this one is the Son of God, and then immediately tries to take it and twist it and turn it into something else and remove that will of the Father from Jesus so that Jesus follows his own will, becomes self-sufficient, and his own exousia over himself. This is what he is hoping he might get the opportunity to do in the future. The devil wants to pluck this word out of Jesus' heart at some point, but he never succeeds. Jesus remains loyal. He will not become self-sufficient. He will not turn from his father. Does he want to at some point? Okay, yeah, Gethsemane, but he won't. The word stays rooted.
1: This gives me the opportunity, Richard, to make a point about the parable of the sower that I'm sure will come up when we get to chapter 8 in Luke, but it bears constant repeating. We imagine that the sower is different than the people to whom and in whom he sows, the soil. But the only thing that is set apart is the Father who provides the seed. I have to keep repeating this because we try to make the claim that Jesus is different We try to force Jesus to grasp at equality with God the Father because we want to claim that we are equal with God the Father. That is the game that men play. That is Roman imperialism. And then pretty soon, we paint a picture of ourselves next to George Washington on the ceiling of the rotunda. It's inevitable. And we start claiming that there's a difference between the one who sows and everybody else. But the value of Jesus is that he did not stake this claim. So this teaching in chapter 8, verse 12 is powerful because when Jesus says, those beside the road are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, meaning the seed of the teaching that was imparted to them that they heard. The heart is the seed of reason. He's referring back to the devil's attempt to fool him into believing that he was equal with God the Father. He's referring back to the devil's attempt to fool him into imagining that he is the one who provides shelter in the wilderness, setting him above the temple and so forth. Now, in the parable of the sower, the soil is no reference, and neither is the sower. It's the seed that is the reference which pertains to the one who provides the seed. You know how over the years Father Paul would always make the joke about this silly question which came first the chicken or the egg it's the chicken that came first in scripture which came first the tree or the seed it's the tree that came first god the father is the premise elohim is the premise Bereshit bara elohim it is not a question in scripture The chicken is the premise. (laughs) I know that sounds funny. It is funny, but we're talking about Scripture. There is no chicken and egg crisis in Scripture. We're not talking about science or history or any of that. We're talking about the biblical text. So the reason Jesus has value value in the sense that he is novel as God's prophet and Messiah is that he did not stake the claim that he was different than anyone else. It's only everybody else who came after in the history of Greco-Roman theology that tried to impose this on him because they were the worshippers of the Roman emperors. That's the problem. They allowed satan to use the kairos against god's messiah in human history where jesus did not jesus did not because he trusted this verse in
0: 8 2 why does he want to pluck the word out in order that the ones who have believed might not be saved jesus received this word of the Father that he's the Son. But he must trust in that and not make it his own. That's the problem, and I wrote about this in my Hosea commentary. You are not allowed to take the manna you need for the day and then take some extra just in case God doesn't come through tomorrow. You're not allowed to do that. But that's exactly what we do. Every personal finance person is going to say, set aside a little bit of your money and your savings because you know you never know what's going to happen right well that's assuming that the one who provided today might not provide next year why would i think that's not the case well because if i'm an american i can't trust in any entity other than myself next year i have to be sure that i'm self-sufficient so how does an american do what jesus did every christian american wants to think that they're going to do what jesus did you can't do it why don't you have any savings why would i save god gives me everything i need today but what if he doesn't give to you tomorrow i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) if he gave to me today why would not He give to me tomorrow that's how it works right and this is what jesus said he was starving after 40 days being in the wilderness says we'll turn this into bread all i need is the word of god that's what's going to feed me why because it makes my tummy stop rumbling no because it reminds me that i'll get exactly the amount of food i need when i need it according to the will of the father and if it's my turn to starve to death then it's the will of the father as cruel as that sounds to our ears so the only way for this Seed not to be plucked is if it's trusted and to be held on as a promise, as we read in Hebrews, held on as a promise of what God can and will provide according to his will. This is what the devil was trying to pluck out of Jesus through this temptation. This is what the pirasmos is. The pirasmos is this testing to see what you're made of. Testing to see if you really trust her, don't you? Does Jesus trust? So far, so good. But just like the readers of Luke, you and I were saying, but does the devil come back in a time or not? And we'll just have to keep reading the rest of the chapters just to see what happens. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.